If you will please take a copy of God's Word as we open um, God's Word together from Joshua chapter 20. We're skipping a few more chapters again this week. Uh, If you're using the NIV in the pew in front of you, that's 362. 362. If you're using the ESV on the ends, that's 247. 247. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing upon the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father, we need you. We need you greatly. We pray that by your spirit, you would help us to understand your word this morning. That you would work it into the nooks and crannies of our hearts. And by doing so, that we would um, know you better, love you more. And become more like our Savior. We pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Joshua chapter 20, verses 1 and following. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of that city and explain his case to the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh and Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland. From the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth and Gilead, from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designed for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourner among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Um, I didn't know when I planned this sermon, that um, I would be attending um, two funerals in five or six days. And so this text has, has become a, a little more meaningful to me uh, these last few days. As we concentrate on two themes, the value of life and the justice of God. I think it's easy to say that we don't value life quite as much as God does. It's kind of a simple statement and a fairly obvious one and perhaps um, understated. We don't value life like God does. We can look at that in a lot of different ways. We could spend a lot of time thinking about this. We don't value our lives and the gift that God has given to us. We certainly don't value the lives of others as God does either. We live in a culture that is becomingly, becoming increasingly, as a man named Francis Schaeffer said decades ago, a culture of death. A culture of death. Even as we watch movies and we look at entertainment and involves just in life in general, we are faced with death in a flippant manner, in a way that um, 
does not do justice to the value and sanctity of human life. Um, I was watching, uh, I'm not going to recommend this movie, it's PG-13, I don't want to do that, but I was watching uh, the new Star Wars movie last night. And even if you have seen the original Star Wars movies and, and compared it to this one, you will note the cultural shift that has happened and how much we glorify death, not the good glorification of it. Uh, even in the decades since the last one was released in what, 83, the original ones, the first three we won't talk about, but uh, the last good one was made in 83 and, and a great change has happened in our culture even in those decades we think about the broad categories, the obvious categories like the 58 million unborn babies who have been slaughtered uh, legally since 1973. That's 11 times the population of the state of Alabama. Or as we think about on the, on the other end of life, as we think about euthanasia and how it's becoming increasingly accepted in, in our country in states like Washington, Oregon, California, and Vermont. But then, you know, those are the obvious things. And it's easy to talk about others, isn't it? But when we bring it a little closer to home, perhaps when we think of the 108,000 children who are ready to be adopted in our country. There are many more in orphan or or or, or, um, foster care, but 108,000 are ready right now for adoption. Um, We think about the thousands caught up in human trafficking across our country. It is a reality. Uh, and the millions around the world, or, or let's bring it a little closer to home. Even how we speak of uh, those who are in this country illegally. There's the law, it ought to be upheld. But in the same way, we often get so caught up in politics as we talk about categories of people, races and ethnicities, backgrounds, even religions. And we speak of people in a way that makes them more like animals than those who have been made in the image of God. The fact is that we don't value life like God does. And that's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. God has sought in his word as he has revealed himself to us. He values life for lots of reasons. We're going to look at some of those this morning. And not only that, he seeks to preserve it. And I think that is our call to us this morning, is we are to value life more and to seek to preserve it more. The text that we find this morning, we find in Joshua 20. Uh, We've skipped ahead again a few chapters. And the reason for that is, uh, if you look at the chapters between last week and this week, they're very repetitive. They are lists of uh, areas that have been given to the different tribes. Remember, God's people have now entered into the promised land, taken possession of it. Now they are receiving and have received their allotments of where they're meant to live as their tribes. And only two uh, things have to be done left. for the, to finish this process. And the first is the assigning of the cities of refuge. And the second is to give the Levites their cities. The Levites didn't inherit land. They inherited cities and the pasture lands around them. So this is where we find ourselves this morning. God had, had commanded Moses that when they would go into the promised land, there were meant to be six what are called cities of refuge. Three were meant to be on the east of the Jordan, uh, which is technically outside the promised land. Uh, and three others are meant to be inside the promised land. The three outside the promised land had already been established, had already been given, Uh, but now it was time to establish the three inside the promised land as well. Now, a city of refuge 
is a technical term. It is a word that refers to a city that a manslayer could flee to if he accidentally killed someone and receive um, safety, receive refuge, uh, receive sanctuary from those who would seek to kill him, even those who would seek to kill him uh, justly. Uh, And because of this, there was a city of refuge within a day's journey of everywhere in the promised land. So it went like this. If you were chopping wood out in the woods one day, and and one day, uh, as your friend is next to you, and the axe head slipped off, and it struck him in the head, and it killed him, uh, then what you would do is you would flee. You would flee to one of these cities of refuge. Because here's the thing. There was a man named the Avenger of Blood. That's kind of a, there could be a, Bad movie by that title, right? The Avenger of Blood. He was a redeemer. This was this a Hebrew word for redeemer. The Avenger of Blood was a close kinsman, a someone who was close, closely related to the person who died, and it was his duty, not his option, his duty to seek out the life of the one who had committed manslaughter, who had accidentally killed somebody. Because God values life. Even innocent blood, even when, it, when someone innocently sheds the blood of another, there must be a counting of it. And so the, 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 the manslayer would flee to this city. And when he got there, something would happen. He would stand in the gates of the city. And there the elders who would sit in the gates, this is where you would go for justice. You wouldn't go to the courthouse, you would go to the city gates. And the, the elders would be sitting around there drinking coffee as they usually do. And all of a sudden would come up someone who uh, says, I have, I have done this terrible thing and I need refuge. And they would hear his, his pleas, they would hear his, his, his story, his case, and it was like a preliminary hearing. And if they decided this is a legitimate case of manslaughter, not murder, then they would welcome it into their city and they would have to protect him. They could not give him up when the avenger of blood came pursuing him. Now, then what would happen, and this is piecing together some other texts as well, uh, the manslayer would be transported, giving, uh, given safe passage back to his city, back to the town where this happened, in order that he might stand trial before the congregation, as we read in verse um, 10, uh, so that he might not die there by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Uh, and it was here that, that you had to have two witnesses Two witnesses in order to say this was not manslaughter, but this was indeed a capital crime. This was murder. The threshold in Scripture for capital punishment is rather high. And I think in some situations, even higher than our own society. You had to have two direct witnesses in order to convict someone of murder. Now, if the manslayer was acquitted, if if the congregation decided that this was indeed an accident then this person would be given safe passage back to uh, a city of refuge where he would live out his days or until the high priest died. And upon the death of the high priest, if he was still living, if the manslayer was still living, then he could go home and live again amongst his people. Or what are we to pull out of this passage for modern application? Certainly we don't have cities of refuge anymore. And there are legal protections for those who uh, accidentally uh, lead to to the death of others. Um, What are we to pull out of this? Well, I think we can find two themes that are very important. And the first is that life is sacred. Life is special to God. 
God values life. And the second, and we won't spend much time on that this morning, is that God is a God of justice. There, justice is not miscarried when um, this process is followed. But God is a God of justice for all those involved. If you will turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, we find the basis of this whole process of justice for those who have died uh, either accidentally or the hand of a murderer. Uh, We find Genesis 9 um, when uh, Noah had finally left the ark after the flood had subsided and God is cutting or making the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. And he is reiterating many of the things that he had told Adam earlier in Scripture. So from Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6, we read this. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the, blood, or for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. To God, all life has value. All human life. And when I say all human life, I mean all human life. There is not a category that one finds himself in that means that his life does not have value. Even those on death row who are there justly there, even those who are to be killed in a just war, even they have value before the Lord. That's what makes this thing so serious. The Bible clearly upholds that capital punishment is um, legitimate, but with a very high threshold for, um, for evidence. But we see in this last, um, this last phrase here, for God made man in his own image. This is what gives us the clue. This is what gives us the base, the basis of why all life is precious to God. As we think back to Genesis 1, Uh, 26 and 27, which I read part of for the children, we find that that man is not like the animals of this world. That there is a qualitative difference between a dog and a human, a cat and a person. There is something different between the whales that are in the sea and the apes that are in the forest. There is something different because God has made man in his own image. Then God said, let's make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now the image of God is a tough thing. but the very basis it means we have value. Um, it means we have more responsibility. Gerald Bray, he was one of my seminary professors, and he preached my ordination in, or my installation service here. And uh, he had this great illustration to show how different man is from beast. And he said, if a dog came up to you and were to bite you in the calf, how would you react? Of course, you'd be angry. The dog might need to be put down. There would be repercussions for what happened. You might have to seek medical care. But in the end, that dog is doing what dogs do. However, if I was having a bad day, and you made me mad, and I came and bit a big chunk out of your calf, what would you do? Would you respond in the same way as if the dog had bitten you? No. You'd be calling the police 
and I might be committed. The fact is that there is something different between a beast and God's most precious creation, that of humanity. We have moral responsibility, but at the very basis of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we were made to have a relationship with the Lord. This is why the taking of life is is such a big deal because it means that God has made someone to be in a relationship with him and we are going to stop that. We're going to stop the, that person having a relationship with the Lord. Now we know that he will live forever, either in heaven or hell, but on this earth, his ability to have a relationship with the Lord has ended. And yet God created man for his own glory to enjoy him forever, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, and we have just ended that process. Right, wrong, or otherwise, either a just killing or unjust killing. Man was made to have a relationship with God and to have a relationship with others. This is why we cry at funerals. This is why the death of loved ones, even when they have been coming for a long time, is so hard because they had value. And they had a relationship with the Lord and with us. And when God created this world before the fall, man was meant to enjoy these relationships with God and with each other forever and ever. And because of sin, because sin is entered into the world and this world has been broken by the fall, that is no longer the case. It hurts because it was not what God originally intended. Now throw in the sovereignty of God there and I encourage you to to struggle through that, um, that issue, but the reality is that death was not meant to be. And it took the death of our Savior to reverse it. This means, by the way, this means that the death of young and old is always significant. It means that those um, with deformities and handicaps are precious, precious both in God's eyes and ours. They are not mistakes. They are not hindrances to us. They are God's gift to us. This means that the poor are to receive not impersonal pity, but personal mercy and love. Why? Because they have value before the Lord. This means those who are unborn deserve our attention because they cannot speak for themselves. This means the sins of racism and and sins like it are significant because suddenly we create categories where someone is other instead of our neighbor in the same dignity that we have before the Lord. The question is, do we value life or do we treat it flippantly? Do we value life or do we treat it flippantly? Because the Lord values life and he sought to preserve it. And that's where we see the justice of God in this text. There was justice for the victim. That even though it was an accident, the fact that there had been blood shed in the promised land meant that something had to happen. And now something did happen. The manslayer was confined to the city of refuge. It meant there was justice for the family. They would not have to be in the presence of the manslayer for the rest of their lives. Indeed, remember that there weren't any social safety nets. And so the death of a husband, of a father, of a brother, the man of the household, could completely ruin a family if there wasn't anybody else to work the fields. But it also meant that there was justice for the manslayer. 
because he has value too. It was an accident. It wasn't intentional. And God knows the heart of man. He sees through our motives. He knows what's going on. And so there's justice for him too. He is innocent. And we should not seek the shedding of innocent blood just to fix a bad problem. God is a perfect judge. And as the perfect judge, he has to deal with sin. Because the reality is that we don't value life like we ought to. And as we think about the passage in Matthew chapter 5 when, when Jesus is speaking on the Sermon of the Mount and he says it's not just when you kill somebody you commit murder. It's when you call someone a fool or when you are unrighteously angry at someone. Then you're a murderer as well. And what we find is that we're all murderers. Every one of us. And we don't deserve to, be, uh, to find the refuge of the city of refuge for oftentimes we mean it. And as we look at the rest of the law of God, as we think about our God being a God of justice, suddenly we find ourselves that we're not just murderers. We're adulterers, thieves, idolaters, liars, blasphemers, covet breakers, Sabbath breakers, and the rest. But this is where we find the gospel. That God still values our lives. He still values the lives of those people who are in rebellion against him. And what did he do about it? He sent his son, Jesus. And in not preserving the life of his son, he preserved and saved our lives. By the death of our Savior, we were raised from the dead spiritually. And by his resurrection, we will be raised physically one day when he comes again. So there's hope. There's hope. We don't value life because God loves us and he sent his son to die for us that through Christ's death we might have eternal life that if we trust in him we will have refuge in that great heavenly city the new Jerusalem when Christ comes to usher in the new age of all of eternity let's pray father we thank you that you value our lives our souls the lives of your people enough that you would forfeit the life of your own son and that you would crush him with the weight of your wrath that we might have salvation. Father, calls us to value life more than we do. Calls us, Lord, to see others with the eyes with which you see them. Lord, help us. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.